The following is taken from the History of the Arkansas Baptist by J.S. Rogers. This book is published by the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, Little Rock, Arkansas, 1948. Early Conditions in Arkansas We live in a world and universe of orderly law over which there is one presiding and guiding mind with unlimited powers to make necessary adjustments and holy providences, and at times in miracles, all in the interest of humanity. However, men must always shoulder responsibilities and cope with conditions, whether produced by nature or men, especially in the primitive days of a country. What men do under such circumstances is the unerring measure of them, and a record of these deeds is history. In this chapter, we undertake to set out primitive conditions in Arkansas and how well our progenitors coped with them. True history reveals facts or events and attempts to interpret said facts when it seems necessary. The facts herein recorded have been taken from many sources. The great New England Baptist historian Isaac Bacchus, 1777, said, quote, Sincerity and impartiality are allowed to be the most essential rules of history. The author has kept this rule in mind throughout this book. The early days of the 19th century marked the beginnings of Baptists in the territory of what is now Arkansas. When we know that the first Baptist church was not organized in old rocked rib Baptist Kentucky until 1781, we begin to see, after all, that Arkansas Baptists were not so very tardy. However, 300 years and more after Columbus discovered America is a long time to wait for Baptists to make a beginning in the wonder state. What partly accounts for this long delay? What made it so difficult for the average Americans to begin to settle in Arkansas and so for Baptists to begin in the state to cry as did the first Baptist, make ye ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Well, that is what we want to see in this chapter, at least in part. It cannot be said that the delay was due to our non-progressiveness. Dr. W. W. Sweet in The Story of Religions in America says on page 314, In fact, in most instances, Baptists were first on the ground in the western settlements, for the preachers came with the settlers, and the formation of a church was a comparatively simple matter. Then let's see what in the early conditions caused some delay on the part of the Baptists in coming to this territory. There were fierce tribes of Indians here. Science, trustworthy science too, seems to prove beyond doubt that a people called Folsom Indians roamed what is now Arkansas Territory. Of course, before Columbus discovered America, practically all of America was sparsely occupied by a people now called Indians. Two tribes of Indians inhabited what is now Arkansas, the Asages and the Quapaws. It is a well-known fact that the bluff dwellers were here before the Indians came, possibly a thousand years before or longer. A learned German named Gerstacher visited and explored this section in 1838 and wrote, I cannot doubt the existence of another and more highly cultured race in this hinterland ages ago. The Osages, with few exceptions, occupied the territory north of the Arkansas River and the Quapaws nearly all the territory south of the river. It is believed these Arkansas Indians came originally from the Illinois country. They were both strong, fierce tribes, and they rightfully claimed the land they occupied. The French claimed 
that they were the finest specimen of the American Indians. There was also a roving tribe called the Caddoes that lived mainly in the extreme southwestern part of the state and roamed over the state but claimed no lands. No wonder these tribes was even semi-civilized. They had learned to grow some of the simpler crops as corn, potatoes, pumpkins, and so on, but they depended mainly on hunting and fishing for a livelihood. These so-called aborigines had no written language lived mainly in tents made of skins, and knew no laws and courts except the tomahawk and scalping knife. They were, made rude pottery, manufactured simple clothes and rough moccasins of skins, built forts for protection in war, had a crude sort of religion, and so on. For the most part, the Indians strongly resented the coming of the white man, as well as stubbornly opposing any trespassing by other Indians. Most of them were treacherous and deceptive. They often fell suddenly upon the white settlers in their homes at church or other places. Of course, they knew nothing of God in the Bible, so the reader can see that civilized white people would think a long time before moving and settling women and children among such tribes. Remember, too, that Arkansas was not cleared of Indians until about 1840. To be sure, white men settled here long before that time, more or less in all sections of the state in the early 1800s. Dark-visaged natives peered wonderingly and with hostile mane from behind huge trees. As an illustration of the opposition of the Indians met by settlers in establishing early homes and churches, Dr. Armitage tells a following about a Mrs. Cook and her large family in Kentucky after the father died. Quote, struggled with poverty and danger until the year 1792 when her sons Hosea and Jesse married. One day a band of Indians fell upon these two sons while they were shearing sheep and murdered one of them. The other, mortally wounded, fled to the house, barred the door, and fell dead. The two women must now fight the Indians to save themselves and their babes. Had one rifle but no shot. Finding a musket ball, however, in her desperation, one of the women bit it in two with her teeth and fired one half at an Indian through a crevice in her log house. He sprang into the air and fell dead. The savages then tried to force the door, but failing, sprang to the roof to fire the house. As the flames began to kindle, one of the heroines climbed aloft and quenched the fire with water. The Indians fired the roof the second time, but the women... Having no more water in the house, took eggs and quenched the fire with them. The Indians kindled the flames a third time, when having neither eggs nor water left, the poor women tore the jacket from her murdered husband, saturated with his blood, and smothered the flames with that. Thus baffled, the savages retired, leaving these young mothers clasping their babes to their bosoms, obliged themselves to bury their slaughtered husbands. Many of the early ministers suffered from the Indians. It is supposed that the Reverend John Gerard was murdered by them, end quote. The reader will remember that the Indians were in Arkansas until 1840. Even up to 1800, Arkansas was still a wilderness as over 53,000 square miles of territory, over 800 square miles of which is water. Yes, 810 square miles of water in the state. That has a Baptist ring in it. Most everywhere in the state a believer in Christ could say as the eunuch did, Behold, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? 
However, no preaching Philip came along until 1800 and after. Arkansas, both before and after 1800, was a wild wilderness. Trees, 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 immense and small. Cane breaks and high grass, rocks and mountains, rivers and creeks and bayous, and lakes galore, swamps and mud, and poisonous reptiles. Then add to wild Indians, panthers, wolves, bears, bobcats, skunks, deer in droves, buffaloes, turkeys, ducks, geese, raccoons, minks, and 810 square miles of fish. We mean waters full of fish. And two, some years ago, the frame of a mastodon larger than an elephant was unearthed in Craighead County. Log cabin life and the wilderness isolation of that day were not very inviting to newcomers. At first, 1810 to 1820, mail came about once every 30 days and then later every two weeks. The U.S. government made no adhesive postage stamps until 1847. Most buildings in this territory for long years were of logs, first round logs and then later hewed logs, and erecting buildings of much size that people would have house raisings or barn raisings. Eight, ten or more neighbor men were asked to the house raising and they came gladly. Dinner was provided by the women and everybody had a big time. Well, in those days, Methodists and Baptists lived about alike. That reminds me, someone has stated as one difference between a Methodist and a Baptist the following. A Methodist knows he has religion, but he is afraid he is going to lose it. A Baptist knows he can't lose it, but he is afraid he hasn't got it. The First Baptist Preaching West of the Mississippi There are two methods of spreading the gospel, what may be called an individual method and an organized method. In the early part of the 19th century, a great deal of the work was done by preachers on their own responsibility, even as late as 1880. We sometimes say of such individual work, he did it on his own hook. Very, very much of the work was so done in the early days, the distressing destitutions and the promptings of the Holy Spirit would cause preachers to go and preach and work, however great the difficulties and sacrifices. The founding fathers, however, were exceedingly sensitive to spiritual needs and calls. Perhaps the first Baptist to preach west of the Father of Waters was Josiah Dodge of Kentucky, who visited his brother Israel Dodge near St. Genevieve, Missouri in 1794 and preached to the community. Probably the second Baptist preaching west of the Mississippi River was done in 1798 by John Clark from Illinois. Clark had thought to have preached near what is now Fifi, Missouri. Pope, in his early recollections of Arkansas, says, Reverend John Carnahan, a Baptist, preached at Arkansas Post in 1811, but there was no church there. The first sermon preached in Little Rock was delivered by Cephas Washburn, a missionary to the Indians in the employment of the Presbyterians, who himself was a Congregationalist. The Arkansas Gazette said the whole population, 14 men, went to hear the sermon. There was some Baptist preaching in North Arkansas as early as 1814 or earlier, but so far as is known now, there was no Baptist church in Arkansas until 1818. However, there have been claims and traditions for long, long years that there was a Baptist church at Forquea Thomas in then Lawrence County in the northeastern part of the state as early as 1799. Benedict Hiscox and others so state, but we are unable to find any certain proof of this contention. The famous Baptist missionary, the Reverend J.M. Peck, 
who labored largely in Missouri, made reference to such claim for 1799 in the American Quarterly Register in 1841, but there is not enough supporting evidence to substantiate these contentions. Light on Baptist Beginnings in Northeastern Arkansas by W.E. McLeod, Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. Accepting Arkansas Post, no region in Arkansas is more historic than the northeastern quarter of Randolph County. Josiah H. Shin says of it in his Pioneers and Makers of Arkansas. Much of the early history of Arkansas clusters around the somber silence of the Forte de Meaux, or Forte de Thomas. Again, in another place, he says, in what a romantic field Hicks's ferry is placed, in a land of the Osages then, and afterward in the land of the Cherokees. Bands of savages from either nation traveled on errands of peace or war, converging from all directions to the ford where Hicks's ferry came to be, the northern gateway to Arkansas. The ferry was where the old Southwest Trail from the Illinois country to Mexico crossed Current River, and on the line between what came to be Missouri and Arkansas. It was at the northeastern corner of the present Randolph County, near the present settlement of Pittman. The ferry came to be called Pittman's Ferry after P.R. Pittman, and is still so called. The trail was made by the Indians long before white men knew anything about it. It was cut out some by white men as early as 1800 to the crossing, and soon after 1803 improved and extended through the region of Arkansas. About that time, 1803, William Hicks opened his ferry, and English-speaking settlers began to trickle into the region soon to become Lawrence County and what was in Missouri Territory. About 1850, a colony of Kentuckians came in and settled near where the military road crossed the Forte de Tomas River. For the larger community called in first records of the county, the settlement on Forte de Tomas. In the settlement were Caleb Lindsay and his young John Young. Caleb was an educated man, a surveyor, Baptist preacher, and teacher. He is said to have organized a church in Kentucky before he came to Arkansas, and no doubt was instrumental in organizing a church in his Arkansas home settlement. It is related of him that he opened a school to which he invited all children free of charge. That must have been the first public free school in Arkansas. He died in Little Rock in 1826 and was buried in the cemetery that bears his name in Randolph County. The settlement also was in after years called Lindsayville. From W.E. McLeod. The early years of the 19th century, nature commits an ominous act in the Mississippi Valley, including Arkansas turns evangelist. Unusual phenomena of nature have always set men to thinking about the supreme being and caused them to wonder about his attitude toward them. Flying, flashing comets, falling, streaking stars, belching, smoking volcanoes, twisting, crashing cyclones, mad, murky, plunging floods, and shaking, shifting earthquakes have nearly always set God before men face to face. These phenomena somehow also cause sins to rise up in men's consciousness. Is this capricious occurrence a forerunner of the great judgment day, men ask? And men wonder, is this violent, startling uprising of nature the beginning of God's recompense for the wrongs committed by humanity? Men stand aghast at such threatening occurrences. 
Well, beginning at 3 o'clock in the morning of December 16, 1811, the Mississippi Valley region centering about New Madrid, Missouri, was rocked and broken and devastated by a series of earthquakes such as men had never experienced on this continent. These shocks continued often several on the same day until February 7th, 1812, 53 alarming overturning days. Many of the most violent shocks and concussions took place during the black darkness of the nights, and some of them, especially the one on February 7th, sent up sulfurous fumes that made men think of hell was at their gates. It seemed that God was angry with humanity and that the end had come. The religious commotion was almost as marked as was the disturbance of nature. One man wrote, quote, It was a time of great horror to sinners, end quote. Preachers were in great demand. A consciousness of guilt swept over that section. One historian says that the landslidings reminded people of their backslidings. One man, a Tennessee historian, wrote, Preachers were everywhere implored to preach and pray for the people. There was a great awakening among the inhabitants, while men's hearts failed them and their knees smote together in fear. A favorite text for preachers in the nearby states and territories was Revelation 6, verse 17. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? People went to church by the thousands, and many repented, some sincerely, some insincerely. Baptists and Methodist churches received many additions, especially east of the Mississippi River. Many people moved to save ground and organize churches. Some came to the highlands of Arkansas because they were nearby. This may partly account for some early churches in northeastern Arkansas. The people did not soon forget this catastrophe, and it was far from being without its religious message for years. But what would cause the Baptist churches to grow rapidly in Arkansas? Of course, in 1818, or a little earlier and later, Arkansas was out west a frontier country, or pioneer land. The pioneers' constant contest or fight with nature made them strongly individualistic with decisive peculiarities. So he did his own thinking and was resourceful. There was little or no hired help either in the home or outside the home. That and other things made the pioneer independent. For the most part, citizens out west or in any new country are pretty much on an equality. Real fellow citizens, say neighbor to those living 20 miles away, are all comrades. That breeds into the pioneers a dislike of claimed superiority. He would not tolerate for a moment the thought of someone looking down upon him. That partly accounted for the fearful custom of dueling in that day. Then all pioneers start from taw begun on a small scale but do not stay on a small scale if they are successful pioneers. They start in what nature untouched, undisturbed, but each year clear more land or enlarge in some fashion. That forces the successful pioneers to live a progressive life. He is not so skeptical of new ideas. He is by force of circumstances an expansionist. Now, Baptists had petitioned the Lord to make up a large section of people peculiarly bent and biased toward our faith and practices. We do not see how a group could have been much better prepared for us. The whole catalog of characteristics, aptitudes for self-government, and the rest fit these pioneers into the Baptist mold. They are baptistical from every point of view except that they need regeneration and leadership.
13 Arkansas historical facts light up our Baptist background. The historical facts mentioned below show something of how widespread were the settlements in the state on the dates noted and where they were, how this territory was governed and grew in the periods noted, where approximately churches and associations were located, and so on. Changes in government were not made without demands of people, and counties were not formed without citizens. Our founding fathers in these far-off years undertook to keep pace with the development of the state. More counties and better county and state governments, political improvements and better social conditions called for more preaching, more churches, and more associations. Number one, what is now Arkansas was a part of Louisiana Territory from 1803, the date of the Louisiana Purchase by President Jefferson, until 1812. Number two, from 1812 to 1819, Arkansas was a part of the Missouri Territory. Number three, during the time that Arkansas was a part of the Missouri Territory, the five so-called original counties were formed in this order. Arkansas County, Lawrence County, Clark County, Hempstead County, and Pulaski County. In 1819, Arkansas was organized as Arkansas Territory and remained such until 1836. During that time that Arkansas was an Arkansas Territory, 30 counties were formed. On June 15, 1836, Arkansas was admitted as a state. So when Arkansas became a state, it had 35 counties, the five original counties and the 30 formed in a period of 1819 to 1836. Hence, 40 counties have been formed since Arkansas became a state on June 15, 1836, making 75 counties now. There have been 51 counties formed in Arkansas when the Baptist State Convention was organized in September of 1848, or one more than two-thirds of the present 75 counties. Arkansas as a state was only 12 years old, still in its knee pants, when the Baptist State Convention was organized, and so the history of the Baptist State Convention parallels 98 years of the 110 years of the state's existence and history, a fact that is remarkably significant. Very great impetus was given to the increase in population in Arkansas from 1818 to 1840 by three events that are of national historic interest. The removal of the Indians from Arkansas and thousands of them from east of the Mississippi River to the Indian Territory. Conflict with them and fear of them were eliminated. Number two, steamboats came to the western rivers as early as 1830 or earlier. They helped move the Indians as well as to bring whites west and so on. Number three, the event, however, that increased the population most was a change by the government of the United States and its land policy during the period especially of 1820 to 1835. This change put land at $1.25 an acre and allowed the buyer only 80 acres and after a time only 40. Of course, this is government land. So that was Arkansas and something of the early conditions in the state. It awaited the coming of Baptists and others. Baptists will come and organize their first church in 1818. Today, Arkansas is as progressive and as up-to-date as most states and has far more natural resources than the average state and is more desirable of a state in which to live. The well-nigh 400,000 Baptists, white and colored in the state today, are not a disadvantage to the state. We shall see what we shall see. Walt Whitman somewhere wrote in 1866, The earth restive confronts a new era. 
1946, this sentence is twice true, and Arkansas Baptists face it. Today, specters of unperformed wonders ahead, gigantic unborn programs to come, and the phantoms of measureless movements and the prophetical years out yonder should re-inspire and challenge Baptists, as in no days since John said, Amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. So just who were the first Baptists to reach Arkansas? It is difficult to state. The Lindsays reached the northern boundary in what is now Randolph County in 1814 or 15. The Fletchers and others, some of whom were Baptists, came about the same time. George Gill reached the Batesville country in 1814. The Tyres and Filligans settled on Crowley's Ridge in 1817. E.J. McKinney says, The first record we have of a Baptist preacher making a journey to this territory is recorded in Duncan's History of Missouri Baptists. He says of James P. Edwards, In the year 1817, we find him actively engaged in the work of the ministry. In the summer of this year, he made an extended missionary tour in the lower part of the territory, during which he visited all the principal settlements on the Arkansas, the St. Francis, and the White Rivers, and traveled more than a thousand miles. In some places, he found the people not only destitute of ministers of any denomination, but deplorably ignorant of the gospel, while in other settlements some attention was paid to religion. Many Arkansas Baptists would like for the long-standing claim that the first Baptist church in the state was organized in 1799 or 1800 in the far northeastern corner of the state to stand. Hicks's Ferry was established not later in 1804, wrote Brother A.J.A. A. McKinney. That leaves us to guess as to how much earlier it was. Current River Township had 421 people in 1821. In 1819, there were several large and well-improved farms up there. All of these things point to a settlement several years old by 1820. When was the first Baptist church constituted? Two dates have been given, and strange to say, both are attributed to the same writer, J.M. Peck, who came as a home missionary to Missouri in 1817. Quote, Benedict in his History of Baptists says, The first church of our order in this then territory of Arkansas, towards the close of the last century, 1800. As authority for this statement, Benedict gives Dr. J.M. Peck in an article in the American Quarterly Register for 1841. William Cathcart in his encyclopedia makes the same statement. Dr. Searcy in his historical articles repeats the claim, which is now hoary with age, having been iterated and reiterated for a hundred years. But so far as I have been unable to find Dr. Peck's exact words, and besides to me the quotation as given does not read like Dr. Peck, his secular history is too badly mixed. Little History of the Salem Church of 1818 As we have seen, this is the first Baptist church in Arkansas. It was on the east side of the stream in what is now Randolph County. The territory was in Lawrence County, which has a population of 5,605 in 1821. Columbia Township, in which a church was located, had 520 people in it. The church had a log house. The exact spot can still be located by the stones that were in the old chimney. 
This author has stood on this heap of stones. In 1835, this church and four churches in Missouri, with 188 members, formed Black River Association, and the association with William Street as moderator met at this church, called Columbia then, in 1837. After that, in 1853, it met at Union Church in Arkansas. The town of Pocahontas was founded in 1835, a few miles from the little town of Columbia, and so it declined. That probably accounts for the disappearance of the Salem-Columbia Church. Another fact about the Salem Church is that the famous Lindsay family was probably in the organization. Elder Caleb Lindsay, the father, was a strong character, a schoolteacher and a surveyor, and possibly the first pastor. He moved to Little Rock in 1825 and died there November 23, 1826, but was buried in a cemetery named for his family in Randolph County. You shall see how a son of this family, Elder John Young Lindsay, became quite prominent in Saline Association and the state convention. He moved to Saline County at the time his father moved to Little Rock. There was a dilapidated log church building at the Salem location in 1855, and it is said that even now there is a building in the community made of logs that are reputed to have once been in a Baptist church house. In 1860, there was a preacher in that section named James, probably a son of the Reverend Jesse James, who lived at Strawberry. The Methodists arrived in Arkansas a few years earlier than the Baptists. The first Methodist circuit was laid in this territory in 1850. It was Spring River Circuit, and it had 92 members in all the circuit, and the Reverend Eli Lindsay seems to have been the preacher. Arkansas Baptists have sometimes censored themselves for being so late in establishing their first church, but we were not so slow, comparatively, in getting started in organizing churches. The fact that this church was organized only 10 years after the first church was organized in the old state of Alabama, Flint River Church in 1808, is proof. Alabama Baptists outgrew us, however, for by 1848 they had 744 churches. We will close this history by some notable facts about the first state convention in the state of Arkansas. Number one. In the American Baptist Register for 1852, Samuel Stevenson of Arkadelphia said that the purpose in organizing the convention was to promote the cause of truth by uniting and consecrating the efforts of the denomination and supplying, as far as possible, the very great destitution which then existed in this state. Number two, William Bayliss was chosen by the messenger to act as presiding officer until the convention was organized and permanent officers were elected. Reverend Bayliss was a member of the Brownsville Church where the meeting was being held. He was a strong preacher, well-educated and a prosperous man for that day and time. We shall see how he was permanent president of the convention in 1850. The Tulip neighborhood was rather wealthy and cultured for that day. Number three, the first convention was a momentous meeting in spiritual power. Reverend Stevenson wrote in the American Baptist Register about it, quote, Seldom are Christians privileged to see brighter manifestations of God's grace than were manifested at this meeting. The master and servant, the child and parent, the self-righteous moralist and the profane skeptic bowed at the same altar of prayer, and ere the meeting closed, more than 40 happy, hopeful converts were added to the militant kingdom of Christ. Thus the first Arkansas Convention meeting closed, inspiring many hearts with brighter hopes. 
More than 40 people saved in a two-day Baptist state convention, and that was the first convention. What a token and prophecy of future millions of souls Then that convention would be used of the Holy Spirit to win to the Savior through the centuries. Praise God.